Before we start tonight's episode, I want to thank you for your patience on waiting, as I know this is two days late. Life happens, am I right? Episodes will resume their normal publishing date this upcoming Tuesday. However, I did want to make sure you listeners got an episode an episode this week. So please, enjoy. We've all looked into the inky black abyss and wondered what life is like beyond our world, haven't we? What creatures are out there? Is there really life beyond what we know? Or is the black void simply meowing for additional snack? Okay, maybe that last one isn't quite the question we need for today's topic, but we are going into the freezy, inky abyss of the ocean. Yes, we have our own alien world right here to explore on 71% of our planet's surface. If you've chanced some late night searches on the internet, no, not those kind, then you're familiar with these otherworldly sea creatures, but I'm going to narrow the field a bit. My name is Emeriel, and get your diving gear back on, cause we're exploring the alien sharks of our ocean. Remember to follow me on Instagram at AmerialExplorers. Then, if you're enjoying the show, hop on over to iTunes to rate and review. Now, let's dive in. Let's start off a little easy. A listener questioned me about two things last episode, and I'm going to give some answers here at the start. First, they asked about what my favorite shark is. My favorite shark is the thresher. Why? If you can safely do so, take a minute to look up a picture on the internet. Go on. I'll wait. Okay. This animal is absolutely beautiful. They have this long, ribbon-like tail that gracefully swishes through the water. But be careful, as this beauty packs a punch. They use their tail like a whip which stuns their food just long enough for them to get a bite. Now, the tail spans almost half the length of their body, which makes it, which just makes me smile as I watch their tails gracefully glide through the water on videos I find online. They're just, ah, they're just the most beautiful. I actually do want to try and get a, a, a tattoo of this shark somewhere on my, either like my ankle or my back or something. The shark is just beautiful. The second question was, where did the word shark come from? So, from what I found on Wikipedia, I know, I know, but hey, this source has helped many a college student, myself included. The term possibly came from the Dutch word shirk, meaning villain or scoundrel. I also apologize for my pronunciation. I do not know if that was correct. It was labeled to the animal due to their predatory nature. Sharks are opportunistic hunters and will take every chance as an e- at an easy meal. Kind of like a hungry college student. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, I'll, I'll leave the jokes to the professionals. Ready to dive deeper? While you might wonder why this first shark is on here, trust me, this dinosaur is a bit strange. The Greenland shark is on the larger end of the family, as they can reach lengths up to 23 feet, or approximately 7 meters, 
and can weigh up to 2,226 pounds, or approximately 1,023 kilograms. Greenlands can live to almost 500 years old, or possibly longer. Believe it or not, there isn't much research on these giants, but what we do know is pretty neat. They prefer the cold, deeper waters and are on the slower moving end of the species. They swim at about two miles per hour or approximately three kilometers per hour. Other than living in the cold, deep dark, what makes them an alien in appearance? Their eyes, my dear listeners. Pretty much all these sharks have parasites attached to their eyes that cause them to go blind. When looking at pictures, you can actually see a ribbon-like thing hanging onto their eye. That's the parasite. So why is there so little research on them? At the time of this recording, they are considered to be a near-threatened species as they were heavily harvested at one time for their liver oil. A quick note as we go further, yes, I will continue to talk about shark conservation because these predators, no matter how scared you may be, of them are needed for a healthy ecosystem. If you didn't listen to my previous episode, here's a quick news flash: We're not on the shark's dietary chain. Also, humans kill millions of sharks each year compared to the five to eight people they kill. It's my hope that these episodes will help you build a fascination with them and want to learn more. There are over 500 different sharks after all. Anyway, off my soapbox. For now, I'll hop back on at the end of this ep- on the end of the episode. Now, ready to get deeper and weirder? Would you consider a shark in the same category as parasites? No. Well, technically there is one. The cookie cutter shark is like a parasite, but on the size of a fish scale. And to lessen those nightmares I just gave you, I'll elaborate. These sharks are on the smaller end of the shark family and only grow up to about 18 to 20 inches, or approximately 50 centimeters, and gets the parasite description from how they feed. Unlike actual parasites, they don't stay permanently latched onto their host. What they do is take a circular cookie-shaped bite, hence the name, from its prey, leaving them with a full belly and their prey alive enough to swim away. How they make this mark is primarily from their lower jaw, which is filled with razor-sharp jagged teeth that make a scooping. Scooping. I I, I wish air coats could be better conveyed over audio. (laughs) Uh, Motion when they take a bite. While these sharks feed in deeper waters during the daytime, at night they tend to be a little closer to the surface. An interesting fact is that these sharks are covered in light organs that are theorized to either help them with camouflage or they use them with some kind of communication thing. Cookie cutters actually avoid humans, but to be honest, one did get bit. The person was a distant swimmer who was swimming between the Hawaiian Islands at night. They were surrounded by boats, which had their lights on, and this is apparently what attracted the predators. And you see where this is going. 
No serious injury was had, thankfully, at the time of this recording. This shark is not currently on the endangered list. All these sharks sure seem to have mastered the art of camouflage with how they were born. And our next one, our final shark of the episode, is born a little extra sneaky. A newly discovered shark, and by new I mean discovered in the last six years, uh, doesn't have a whole lot of information, but it does look pretty cool. The Ninja Lantern Shark was discovered on an expedition in 2015 off the coast of Central America in the Pacific Ocean. Once again, if you can safely look up, look up a photo of the shark, I highly recommend it. This shark has, again, light-emitting organs called photophores that naturally helps with their camouflage. As they swim into the surface waters, these organs will actually light up their belly, allowing them to blend with the sunlight, the sunlit sky, when you view them from below, looking up. Actually, just about all sharks have a type of natural camouflage. Great white sharks are the best example of this because their coloration with their white underbelly and darker gray topside are... You wouldn't think it would camouflage them in the ocean, but... It works. When swimming underneath them, their white underbelly helps them blend with the lighter sky above. Same goes for the dark gray topside when you're looking down on them. But hey, we're talking alien sharks, so let's get back to the ninjas. These sharks prefer to spend their time in deeper water ocean, between somewhere between 2,700 and 4,700 feet, or approximately 836 to 1,143 meters. <laughs> Honestly, just looking at this shark, it's very easy to see how it can perfectly camouflage and just how it evaded discovery for so long from scientists. Unlike the classic shark look we are all familiar with, this one doesn't have the classic two-toned skin like the great white. It's just a black color. It's no wonder this beauty stayed evasive and hidden for so long. For the last part of this episode, I'm going to take a tentative step up on my soapbox for shark conservation. If you are interested in how you can help and contribute, keep listening. If not, then skip about... 30 seconds to a minute, maybe, to get to the final shark fact of the episode, because I do have a one more fun one for you. So, oh, I'm going to share some organizations that I looked up that you can look into as well. There are quite a few, but I narrowed them down to some of the better known ones that I know have been, that have a good reputation. The first one is Saving the Blue. That one's a little more recent. Uh, the next one is Sea Shepherd Conservation Society. Now these guys, not only do they get boats out there on the ocean to take action to help save the whales, they also take a very proactive step in helping save the sharks by taking direct action. And by direct, I mean borderline piracy against those harvesting these wonderful sea creatures. Next is 
World Wildlife Fun. Fun fact, you have an option of getting a plushy shark with your donation. And if a plushy shark or a plushy toy doesn't get you to help donate money, I mean, come on. <laughs> Next is the Shark Research in Shark Research Institute. Then we have the Shark Conservation Fund. And for this last one, you can actually purchase products sold by a company called Waterlust, and the proceeds go towards funding ocean research, in which includes sharks. Now, Waterlust is actually put out there by the Shark Research section at the University of Miami, and they sell patterned water, wear water and activewear. I actually bought leggings from them that have this amazing tiger shark print, and the bonus is I can swim in them. It's, it's wonderful. <laughs> These beautiful apex predators deserve all the help they can get to help them survive. Sharks are harvested by the hundreds of millions every year for their fins to make shark fin soup. While it may seem they don't need help, they are just as easily caught in fishing nets as any other sea creature out there. So please, check out all the places I listed above and learn some more about these fascinating animals, as well as how to help them. If you want to learn more about shark finning and... or you're just like some other people I run into that go, wait, what is that? Then I recommend a movie that was just released this year on Discovery Plus. It's called Fin. It explores the black market trade and how it's impacting shark populations globally. Quick note. This episode is not, I repeat, not sponsored by any company or organization I listed above. I just really love sharks, in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> so, let's end this episode on a light note, shall we? Did you know that sharks can be put in a trance-like state? It's true, and it's called tonic immobility. From what I've seen in the shark documentaries, shark documentaries, I know, I know, leave it to the pros, I'm moving on. <laughs> the diver will do this maneuver one of two ways. The first is they will actually be in the water and they'll wait so the shark gets close to them. Then they put their hand on their snout, making sure not to go near the shark teeth, and start rubbing it. This causes the electrical receptors, or the ampullae of Lorenzini, to be overstimulated and put the shark in a relaxed state. From there, the diver will turn the shark over on its back and this puts them in full tonic immobility. So this is kind of like a paralysis coma-like thing for them. It doesn't actually, it doesn't truly harm them as long as you do it correctly. The second way is them being on a boat. This method that I'm about to describe is actually how they get samples like blood work and skin from the shark to check the overall health as well as some cases surgically insert a tracker tag if they want to or attach a, a tracker tag to the shark's dorsal fin. Once they have the shark um, on a hooked line which they have bait they will pull it in next to the boat and then have someone secure the tail with another rope then they invert the shark turning it over. How the experts on the sharkumentaries explained it 
When they use this method, they keep the shark there for as little time as possible so they don't stress out the shark too much. Hey, sharks get stressed like the rest of us. Who knew? I mean, I would be stressed too if I thought I was getting a free meal, then suddenly I'm pulled against a boat and flipped over. <laughs> Again, their goal is to help the sharks not hurt them, so if they're using this method, then it's been shown time and time again that this is the least stressful for this animal. Hopefully I have inspired or fully piqued your curiosity to go research sharks and how they got a bad rap after the movie Jaws. No offense Spielberg, but poor sharks. Uh, they are a necessary part of our ocean and it really is possible to peacefully coexist. So thank you everyone for listening and joining me on this deeper water adventure and exploring our own real life aliens living on this planet we call home. Next week, we'll still be exploring our galactic waters, so don't put that swimmer away too fast. But we're not looking at sharks. Trust me, I'll be back next year for Shark Week with more shark specials. We'll be looking at things that came from outer space. Well, they didn't start there, but you'll see what I mean next week. Follow me on Instagram at AmirielExplores. I do have a Twitter, but I'm not as active on it. And comment on the episode post to let me know how you're enjoying the show. If you are on iTunes, please take a minute to rate and review if you are enjoying the show. If you're not, still comment. Constructive criticism is healthy. Royalty-free music is from Pixabay and was composed by Fanchi Sanchez. All sources for the show are listed in the description below. Glad you could return for another episode, and I hope you'll return next week. Until then, safe exploring, everyone. <laughs>